This is a sporting discussion, talking sports of all sorts. I'm AJ Mithin, and I am joined by the wonders of technology by my wonderful co-host, Andrew Donison. Andrew, how are you? I'm really well, thank you, AJ. I can't see you, but you are sounding well. You're sounding refreshed. Feeling it good. Sounds as I'm, at the, I'm at the uh, sporting discussion coast house uh, with all of yes. you, hence, hence you being stuck on the end of your telephone. Mm-hmm. But that's all right. That's all right. Speaking of the technology, AJ, it has been a big couple of weeks for NRL, for AFL, for cricket, and now the A-League have decided to trump everyone. Oh, did they what? We had uh, the video assistant referee, VAR, big-time technical fail just as Costa Barbarousas was knocking in what turned out to be the winning goal in the A-League grand final. Uh, what did you make of that? Did you watch it live? Uh, I, I saw the second half. I didn't see the first half. I was uh, at the Aussie Rules, and I was on making my way back home as the the game commenced. But I've seen the replays, and I've I'd, I've I re- I've read with relish all of the um, the media releases and the the related articles about thirty seconds. There was there are twenty seven rounds in the A League, and then there was the final series. And the VAR crapped out for 30 seconds of that entire time. <laughs> and it just so happened that it was the, the 30 seconds. Part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so con- conspiracy theory away, if you will. But no. I think that uh, I think it's just an extremely unfortunate period of timing. But AJ... We thought it best to have a chat to someone who was a little bit more entrenched in this field than we are this week. Yeah, this calls for someone who knows more about all of this than we do. And so we have asked Jonathan Howcroft, freelance journalist from a radio station near you. Plus, you can read him in The Guardian to come on and have a chat about the A-League, the A-League in general, the grand final. And we move our attentions to the World Cup uh, next month and we have a little bit of a chat about the Socceroos as well. Jonathan Howcroft, welcome back to a sporting discussion. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to having a quick chat. Now, this is going to be fun. We've had an interesting uh, grand final, Haley grand final, yet again go past. Andrew, why don't you give us a quick wrap of uh, what we're talking about here? Well, the A-League grand final was meant to be about the team coming from last on the table last year, Newcastle Jets, and trying to, to win their second championship and against the Melbourne Victory, who were trying to come from fourth to win theirs. But it seems that it's all about the computers and a 30-second glitch. What, what on earth happened, Jonathan, nine minutes in, and, uh, and the system, system shut itself? Yeah, um, unfortunately, Australia has been at the forefront of the use of video assistant referee technology, commonly known as VAR or VAR. And um, about 18 months ago or so, FIFA decided that they wanted it to be used in Russia 2018. 
So they shopped around a, a small fee for a league somewhere in the world that would be the guinea pig to um, find out where the glitches in the system might lurk. And the A-League put their hand up and said, yeah, we'll do it. We'll, we'll find out what's wrong with it in real time in an actual competition. So and, on um, reflection, is that money well spent? Um, on reflection, it didn't need any reflection, really. We, we knew from the outset that it was a terrible idea. Um, and, well, I guess one way of looking at it could be that the, the World Cup should now have one fewer glitch than it could have otherwise had. But up until this point um, in the trial, there has been, there's been human error. So there have been issues where um, decisions perhaps didn't go where you expected them to because of the application of the laws by the people operating the system. But what we saw on in the grand final was a technical malfunction. And moreover, that the system as designed, which in this case was Hawkeye, which is a, a company that I'm sure you're familiar with from other sporting technology, the feed that they provide to the video assistant referee um, failed a few minutes before Melbourne Victory scored a goal, which would otherwise have been ruled out. But what compounds the problem is that there's no backup system. So when the goal had gone in, TV viewers watching on Fox Sports could clearly see that it was offside. But the video assistant referee didn't have access to that broadcast footage. So we're in this ridiculous situation where everybody could tell that the video assistant referee should intervene, except the video assistant referee himself. So it was just the most absurd situation. And further evidence, if any, was needed that video technology has no place in football. Yeah, we've had uh, cricket and, and the NRL as well where there've been issues with the video technology and everyone knows that it's, it was brought in, all these things were brought in to eliminate the howler as we keep hearing from the cricket side of things. But when something is so obvious as like, what's that for like three people being offside? Uh, how could they not have just gone, hang on a minute? We need to intervene here. I guess there probably just wasn't a, a, a rule in place. It just seems odd that it was obvious to everyone, and yet just because this piece of footage wasn't available in the official VAR system, they couldn't use it. It, it, it seems like that they were missing something there, and, and they should have just been able to, to use common sense. You're 100% right, but common sense has no place in the application of any of this technology. So um, <laughs> there's no reason that, that it would be used at that moment. The, there are official guidelines by IFAB, by FAB, which is the um, official law-setting body um, in the world of football, and their guidance um, states that, that, that as far as the trial goes, it has to be a discrete feed rather than the broadcast feed. Um, so it's almost as if the system was designed not to have a safety net to it, which really boggles the mind. Um, so, so that's the situation that we're in. I mean, in comparison to the other sports that you mentioned, um, cricket, there is, clearly there are shades of grey in the laws of cricket as well, but it's broadly black and white. In rugby, both codes of rugby, there is a, a white line which establishes whether there's a try or not. And, and similarly in football, when the ball crosses the line and, and it's the goal, I can understand the application of, of something other than the human eye to, to establish those calls. But when the ball's in play and there's subjectivity, it, it just, to me, does not make sense for 
introduce an extra layer of confusion. I think we'd be much smarter bringing in a, a, a respect and understand an understanding agenda whereby we all acknowledge amongst ourselves that referees are human, they're fallible, they make mistakes, and it's not the end of the world. And instead of, of making our lives more painful by introducing something like VAR, we, yeah. we just maybe stop for a couple of minutes, learn to meditate, realize that the world will still keep turning <laughs> and, and just get on with it. Well, it's interesting the you world... raise the referees. Sorry, Andrew. Um, yeah, interesting you raise the referees, Jonathan, because... I wanted to ask, in the in the NRL, the referee has to make a decision of whether they think it's a try or no try before the video looks at anything. Uh, the um, line, of, line official on Saturday night just kept the flag down. Now, I don't know if that's a directive for if you think something needs to be looked at, the VAR will look at it, or if the, uh, if the referee just thought, well, I, that was tight, but I know they'll look at it. Um, do you know anything if there's a, a direction to referees to take no action or anything like that? Yeah, there is a directive, and, um, and that's a really smart piece of analysis that, that you just highlighted. And um, it raises the question of, of how the application of video technology has um, the, an, an unintended consequence is its manipulation of real-time decisions. So... It's the common assumption within the football community that in, in instances like we saw in the grand final, that the assistant referee would keep his flag down because the instruction is if you think that it's borderline, give it in favour of the attacking team because play can always be called back retrospectively by VAR. If you put your flag up and it turns out that they were onside, the potential for a goal um, is curtailed unnecessarily. And that's the most grievous sin that, that an official can do in a, a, a game like football where, you know, as we saw, the entire championship was decided by one goal. So if if you're seen to, to deny one goal-scoring opportunity, that's a massive impediment to, to the contest. So um, definitely VAR, quite probably in that instance, dictated what the assistant referee did and then compounded that, uh, manipulation of the assistant referee's behaviour by not checking the mistake subsequently. So, um, yeah, just a, a catalogue of errors. And you talk, Jonathan, about only, you know only needing one goal to, to change the the outcome of the match, and that's what it was. The Mel- Melbourne victory only had seven shots, two of which were on target, and one of those went in, but it was Lawrence Thomas, the Melbourne victory goalkeeper, who was best on ground, saving. Sorry, Andrew, you need, you need to throw much maligned in there when you talk about Lawrence oh, Thomas. Sorry, much maligned Lawrence Thomas, who saved four shots on goal and also copped a, a Roy O'Donovan boot to the face towards the end. It ended with the, the Andrew Gaze mummy tape around his head. He was he was incredible, not just in this match, but in the previous match to get them into the, the grand final as well. It was a, an incredible effort by him in goals. He was. He was the standout man of the match. And, uh, and there was daylight, really, for whoever would have finished second. And he had a, an outstanding final series, like you suggested. And um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure everybody can tell by my accent. I didn't grow up with with a post-season finals system um, mm. in, in my blood to determine the, the end-of-season champions. But the way this post-season has played out in the A-League, I can really see the merit because it was a, 
a home and away season that really just meandered along and then caught fire in the finals. And Lawrence Thomas is, is part of the reason for that because of how he performed in, in the three knockout matches, in particular the final two, um, where Melbourne Victory denied Sydney FC, who were by far and away the standout team in, um, in the regular season. And then Newcastle Jets in the final. But just the first half alone, regardless of, of how brave he was in the second, the, the saves that he made in the first half, one double save in particular, um, after about half an hour, will go down in history as, as one of the great goalkeeping moments in, in Australian football. And, um, and he's, been, he's been good for a number of years in an unassuming way. He's not a big name. He's... he's earned his place in Victory's team largely by Danny Vukovic leaving a couple of seasons ago um, for for personal reasons and um, he's blossomed in his absence and he's, he will now be on the fringes of international selection this World Cup will, will probably arrive a bit soon but a, a couple of the players ahead of him are, are getting on a bit so it wouldn't surprise me if he was um, if he was around the Socceroos squad pretty soon Jonathan, you talked then about the season meandering on a little bit. Do you think that because there is a final series, it means that there is a tendency for the season to to just plot along at its own pace and then that might then have an impact on the quality of games and the, the crowds watching both on TV and at the grounds? I think that's a very charitable interpretation, Andrew. Thank I you. think the, rea- <laughs> the reality always, always on the bright side, Andrew. <laughs> the, the reality is that the Ellie could just be dross this year, and um, <laughs> die-hard supporters like myself, we can't dress it up. Is it recoverable, uh, um, you know. Sorry, could you repeat that? Is it recoverable? Oh, it is absolutely. It's recoverable. It's um, it's it's an issue of of administration, not one of product. The, the actual football itself has been excellent. And um, in Sydney FC, you've got a side of, of real quality for, for two years in a row that um, you have to really admire what they've done. Melbourne City uh, are getting their act together. Melbourne Victory have, have set a, a high standard for a number of years. Um, Brisbane Raw had a bit of a dip, but you know that they will come back um, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers probably dragged dragged the competition down a little bit compared to, to to their usual high standards. Newcastle Jets played outstanding football through the season, just relentless swashbuckling, attacking, um, fast, dynamic play. So the actual the actual product itself is fine and, and improving, but everything around it is just stagnant. The the standoff between the clubs and the governing body is. is really prohibiting the investment that's required. We need to get our heads around scheduling, around infrastructure. The idea that Brisbane Raw, <coughs> excuse me, um, play at Suncorp is, is ridiculous. They average 10 or 11,000 a week and they're playing in a 50,000 seat stadium. You've got Sydney FC playing at Allianz in front of 10 or 15,000. Get them in proper football specific venues encourage the active support, accept that there's jeopardy that comes with that, a, a certain level of misbehaviour, which um, they, they need to, to to get an understanding of and police properly. And then the, the product, on, the on-field products will be given the the opportunity to flourish. The, it's everything else that goes around it. And, and to me, that doesn't feel like a, 
as big a challenge as it might from the outside. And I'll give you an example of, of the NBL. We've seen what, what smart marketing and, and sound um, uh, sound administration from from the basketball community can do to that competition. The product hasn't changed radically on the court, but the buzz around it has turned it into this exceptional uh, must-see event. And, you know, the recruitment of Andrew Bogut just capitalizes on that. And it, it, you can see the same happening to the A-League. They just need to kickstart that initial push and, and get the momentum going. And we could see a kickstart to, to that in about six weeks' time when the World Cup starts because all of Australia, no matter if you're a, a soccer fan or not, loves to get behind the, the national team in a big tournament like that. And Australia, so it's 14th of June, the tournament starts. France, Peru and Denmark are the three teams that are in Australia's group. They're currently ranked 7, 11 and 12 in the world. So it's going to be a challenge, but there's been a 32-man squad named, including uh, Croatian-born Frank Karicic, who I don't think has actually stepped foot in Australia before. Um, no, so not as far as we're aware. He's, he's got an yeah. Australian passport, though. Have you got a problem with that, Jonathan? I don't, I, no, I don't. Your traditional no, Aussie sports no. fan uh, can't see a way around that sometimes. I can see why why some people might have an issue with it, and I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't try and, and persuade them otherwise. Uh, but by all accounts, he he's worn Socceroo shirts to training. He he has a strong affiliation with Australia. It's not. It doesn't feel like he's being um, plucked out of obscurity and told that he has an Australian grandmother who um, who spent one week in Perth in 1932 or something. It's, there is a, a, an, an authentic relationship with the country. Um, so, yeah, in, I, I don't have a problem with it. Do you think um, he makes it? We don't know. I mean, we know pretty much nil about him. I don't know if you've had a chance to look up on him, uh, look up at him since it's, they've uh, said it. But, yeah, the, I think the squad go, ends up at 25 or 23 or something, doesn't it? So there's 32 named at the moment, and that will be cut to 26 in a couple of weeks. Um, and, and they will have a, a, a training camp in Turkey in a couple of games, which will whittle it down to the final squad of 23. And um, the Australia's got has had a, a big issue with right fullback for a number of years. And the reason that Karacic is in the squad is because that, that position is still up for grabs. And... Um, he is well known to Ante Milicic, who is um, the, one of the assistants to Bert van Marwijk and coach of the Oli Roos. And it would appear that he's a Milicic selection and van Marwijk has trusted him to get him into the fold. And I guess they'll just have a look at him um, in the camp and, and, and see what happens. It, it's uh, not a ringing endorsement for Josh Risden. Yeah. The uh, Western Sydney Wanderers right back, who in, in my opinion would probably be the first choice right fullback. We saw in the um, in, in the first two games that Van Marwijk had that he, he experimented with who could play at right back, and I'm, I'm sure that Milos Degenek, um and Mark Milligan and also Bailey Wright, who will all be in the squad that go to the World Cup without a doubt, those three. We may see basically just a, an auxiliary right back. And then use that extra position to um, to to give 
there might like more options elsewhere. But who knows if if Carriage did well in camp, he might just nail it for himself and um we, we all get we all get to try and find out who he is. Yeah. <laughs> now now Jonathan, I'm for some reason quite bullish about Australia's chances. Maybe I always am leading into a World Cup. Am am I completely out of my mind? Can they get themselves uh, a win and a draw in, in the three matches to give themselves a chance at progressing. I am loath to to enter into predictions. Um, oh, it's, 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 a, it's, a mug, it's a mugs game. All I will say is the three other teams in the group will have been delighted to draw Australia. <laughs> and and there's, yeah. there's been no evidence since the draw has been made that they should um, think otherwise. The the danger that that poses for them is that they become complacent. And I think what has happened um, in the switch between Ange Postecoglou and Bert van Marwijk is Australia has gone from a proactive to a reactive game. And there's a potential that that could work in their favour in, in a, as an example, the Melbourne victory Newcastle Jets grand final. If you think of Australia moving from playing like the Jets would have wanted to play and taking the game on to now playing more of a Melbourne victory grand final style reactive, looking at what the opponents are going to do, let them make the first move and then try and try and capitalise on, on any areas that they might make. That could actually play into Australia's hands. But just on a, a pure talent alone, France... I mean, they're just intimidatingly good. And yeah. there, wouldn't be, there wouldn't be one Australian that would get in the France squad, let alone the starting 11. <laughs> um, and then, you know, as you suggested, Denmark and um, Peru might not seem as intimidating, but their world ranking suggests otherwise. Um, and in Denmark, they will have Christine Eriksen, who um, he's just been outstanding in the Premier League this season for Tottenham. And you get the feeling he's one of those players that could just drag his country single-handedly to a very strong finish um, in this World Cup. So, in answer to your question, you, you probably are a little bit mad. <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you. I'll, I'll take that diagnosis on board. <laughs> and that, that accurate diagnosis is a pretty good, uh, pretty good way to bow out here. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, Jonathan Howcroft, thanks again for talking to us on a sporting discussion where you're all keen as mustard for the World Cup to come along. It's taken too long. And uh, we're all hoping as well that the FFA can get its stuff together behind closed doors for the local league as well. So we thank you again for coming on to have a chat with us. My pleasure. Hopefully speak to you both soon.